to the Liberty Pole. I'm your uh, host, Cole Williams, and uh, we got a special guest on today. He uh, studied communications at Wake Forest University and works in sales uh, currently, but he, and more interestingly and, and pertaining to our podcast, he has a, a great interest in critical social justice, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard about critical race theory. Well, he'll tell us later in the episode why we need to be more concerned with critical social justice and, and, and the roots of that and the, and the idealism of that before we really understand what critical race theory is and, and the detriment that that idealism brings to our society. But first, we're going um, we're gonna to discuss a little bit about Afghanistan because uh, the way Wynn and myself met was <laughs> um, an <laughs> argument on Instagram and, uh, about Afghanistan. And not necessarily that we completely disagree with each other, but we, do, we disagreed in, in, in the nuance, I think. So, uh, yeah. Wynn, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Cool. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, man. Uh, I, I think uh, I think I got to start by by apologizing and uh, and <laughs> and also apologizing to the three or four people who uh, made it through the old row comment section to see that. Oh yeah. Idiotic uh, exchange there. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, mom. <laughs> if you and if you would have told me that uh, I would have found a podcast guest. Off an old row comment section, I would have called right. you crazy. Right, exactly. <laughs> a political discussion exactly. on old row, but man, <laughs> right. stuff happens. You know, if, I think it also goes to show that uh, Instagram comment sections or comment sections in general are not exactly the place to understand nuance. No, uh, they're not. Because if I if I understand correctly, you actually thought I was a leftist when you mm, originally mm-hmm. were talking to me. Is that true? Yeah. So I, I saw the comment, and I I think you said. MAGA or MAGA tart or something like that. Yeah, I, I call like, them oh, the MAGA. I, I say the MAGA cult, just like I, I, MAGA, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Full disclosure, I actually voted for Donald Trump, but so like I said, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, had, I mean, yeah, you know. yeah. Like, I, 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 I'm totally with you. I am totally with you. And yeah. when I saw that, I was like, oh god, <laughs> just another another one of these. I thought, see, old Rose is typically very right leaning, and the yeah. comment sections reflect that, and so. When I read your comment, I was like, oh, God, here's some leftist douche nozzle coming in here trying to stir something up. I was like, all right, I'm going to show him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, that was – and, you know, it's funny that I've gotten that a lot. Like uh, pretty much any social media like debate I get into, if it's with someone from the right, they originally think I'm from the left. Like you and I were talking about before we actually went live. I'm kind of hard to pin on a political compass. I mean, if you ask me, right. I'm like as far right and down on the political compass as you could possibly get. But like, mm-hmm. I have some ideas. Like I'm, you know, I'm passionately anti-war, passionately, yeah. and I'm passionately uh, pro-legalization of drugs, like all drugs. And we've had as you am know, I. Okay, sweet. So <laughs> we, you know, as am I. Maybe we'll have you back on to talk about that. But we've had a few episodes I'd, on I'd that in the to. past. That would be awesome. I'd love to. But yeah, man, so I do, I, I want to hear your thoughts on, so you told me that, I think you, so Afghanistan to you, the withdrawal of Afghanistan, not that you disagree with us leaving, but the actual right, way right. that the withdrawal went down. You said yeah, that was so, one of our biggest right. foreign policy failures. And I, and, right. and so, you know, so let me, let me back up a okay. little bit and, and add a little context. So when I when I look at that, I mean, yeah, we've spent 20 years there and spent what is it? Was the figure almost a trillion dollars? Uh, actually, I think it's so Biden. Biden in a speech said a trillion, but I've seen uh, I think antiwar.com 
estimated at like 2.2 trillion. So, you know, either way, it's fake money. Some obscene amount of money, like that could pay everyone in the world, you know, a nice living wage. Um, Anyway, that said, what did we get out of it? Nothing at this point, obviously, than a, a huge national debt. And, uh, you know, as soon as we leave, terror proliferates again. And so, yeah, I, I agree that we needed to get out. Um, and I think that, especially since our initial conversation, um, we have seen what a absolute disaster our exit has been and continues to be. And, and you know, my criticisms, you know, go further in that. Joe Biden is uh, basically burying his head in the sand at this point. I'm so. sure, I, I, I'd actually make the argument that he's been doing that since January 20th. But <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest with yeah. you, this is the this is quite literally the only thing that I've thought that he's done well since he was inaugurated. The only thing, mm-hmm. like I had some issues with Donald Trump all four years. He was like I criticized him and criticized him, but. He did some good things, and and I would say he did some good things right. when he did good things. Like I said, and and I like and you know I mentioned to you after we had our initial conversation that I was starting to like come to your side on how much of a disaster this is, but yeah. I personally still hold it as whatever happens as we leave is I believe it's still a net benefit that we are doing that. So I'm still giving Biden the credit for that, but. Right. It's hard for me to give a, a warmongering neoliberal halt credit when he's gotten us into five yeah. other wars, you know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and Joe Biden has pre, has pre, been in the executive and presided over, you know, the war in the Middle East uh, longer than any other person. Correct. At this point. So um, let's not pretend that he's not all about that. No, but, no. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, it's an ever evolving situation. Um, I was trying to catch up a little bit before we came on and, you know, it sounds pretty sure that we're going to have some American citizens that either become hostages or casualties, which is in my mind, uh, absolutely unacceptable. Um, I, I tend to follow a lot of guys on social media and I've read a lot of their books that are from the special forces teams, especially the seal teams. And uh, I, I'm not sure if you saw. Do you follow Jocko Willink at all? Yes, I do. Did you see his uh, video yesterday that he posted on social? I did, but I um, there was there was some reason why I couldn't finish it, but I saw the majority of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I I think at this point we have the ability to get people out, and I I guess I don't understand Joe Biden's uh, hesitancy to to get people out and, and by force. I don't either, man. I, to be honest with you, I, I think that if he, I, so here, so here's my whole, t- well, let me actually, let me actually mention something about the Jocko Willink deal. So I think the guys, oh, for Jocko, you know, I, I respect Jocko a lot. I read behind Jocko. Right. I've, you know, I read, I can't remember a book I read by him a few years back. Um, but I've read a couple books by Jocko anyway. Mm-hmm. And, um, I respect Jocko. I respect guys like Tim Kennedy and guys like Dakota Meyer, guys that have been outspoken on this stuff. But I will say this. I I do pump the brakes short of actually considering 
what they say is gospel because these guys mm-hmm. have had these guys have a lot tied into what's going on over there. So they're they're emotionally invested in a way that oh, you yeah. or I are not. And sure. and and just like uh, I know you know Pat Buchanan is correct, uh, like a conservative oh, thought yeah. leader. So yeah, Pat Buchanan was great on foreign wars, other than mm-hmm. Vietnam. And and later yeah. in Buchanan's career, after you know everybody saw that Vietnam was a total disaster, we've actually me and Blake have talked about about this on the podcast. Like I said, I like Pat Buchanan. He's probably my favorite conservative ever. Um, mm-hmm. But Buchanan still couldn't bring himself to to say that the Vietnam War was a disaster because he had so much invested in it. And that's and. And yeah, I'm not saying Jocko was doing that. I'm saying just in general, beware of people who have, sure. you know, emotional and the, and investment. these guys, these guys always have their war face on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, so their mind works one way, and maybe you right. or you or I's mind would work a different way. And that, so right. I take what I what I can take from them, but I do pump the brakes short of of taking what they say sure. as gospel because of that reason. And then, yeah. you know, I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't – so so my, my take on this whole deal with, with Joe Biden, I, I think that like what you said, he's buried his head in the sand because I don't think that – I think that Biden legitimately wanted to get out because he's – like uh, he gave a speech at Harvard. I don't have the quote in front of me. But anyway, he gave a speech at Harvard talking about Syria and Afghanistan and what total failures they were. And he was kind of blaming right. it on Barack Obama, which kind of made a little rift in their relationship if they ever even had one. And But, <laughs> you know, ask, he, yeah. he sounded – kind of like an isolationist in that speech and he said things like recently that have made him sound like an isolationist so i so i had a good feeling about that but then i i just don't think that he had the fortitude to finish the job so like you said why why are there civilian or or why are our people or people who work with coalition forces stranded and at the taliban's mercy right now there really is no good explanation for that in my opinion yeah you know i just the last thing I saw here before, before I hopped on was somebody from the ground reporting that their interpreter had, and this is horrific, um, his wife was beheaded in front of him and then he was beheaded. Yeah, so that, was, yeah. I mean, like, this is happening. Yeah, I mean, I've, and, I've heard that as well. And the, I mean, and that's, I've seen some other things that I'll let the, the listeners look up on their own, but, uh, you know, I, I heard Jen Psaki, was it yesterday, two days ago, this is not a hostage, I mean, this is not a, uh, oh crap, what was her verbiage, or phraseology, uh, hesitant to call it a, uh, oh man. I know I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember it either, because I saw Gosh, that. I cannot remember her phraseology. <laughs> I saw, but I, I I saw just, it as well. And I was just like, what, what planet are we, I mean, in. I know what planet we're on, and I will get very much into that. Yeah, um, we're, we're not on a we're not on a real life planet, but um, anyway, it's just like she was operating on another plane of existence. But at the same time, I also understand that it is Jen Psaki's job to be just like Kaylee McEnany and spin the hell out of <laughs> yeah. whatever whatever it is. Exactly. I mean, like it, Jen Psaki's not going to get up there and be like. Yeah, we really have this one up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so here's so kind of my like meta take of the situation, and this is this is so we've I've also said this on the podcast many times. Our listeners will know this. In my opinion, one of the best things, if not the best thing, that Donald Trump did for the Republican Party, and 
Tucker Carlson. You know, those two, which I would argue are the two two out of the three biggest names right now in, in like conservative media slash politics. Oh, you know, the, the third being DeSantis. So I think yep. that Carlson and Trump, more than anything positive that they've done lately, made it cool to be isolationist and anti-war in the Republican Party again. And I think that yeah. was very important. And I, I commend Donald Trump for doing that. And it wasn't just a political ploy by Donald Trump. I don't believe that personally because Donald Trump ranted about Iraq. He ranted about the surge in Afghanistan against Barack Obama. And you, you know, everybody knows he definitely has no love for Barack Obama. He didn't before he ever declared to run <laughs> no. for president. But he actually publicly praised Barack Obama for withdrawing the troops after the surge and standing up to the uh, – to like uh, General General McChrystal and uh, General oh, yeah. Mattis. I mean, Trump ran in 2016 heavily on uh, on on speeches with his disagreement with the the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. But the crazy, I mean, yeah. So so I was very excited about that. But that that the wild thing is, is Barack right. Obama ran the very same thing in 08, and George Bush ran the very same thing in 2000. So that you know, it's really. It's really hard because those two presidents have perpetrated more wars on the American people than no any that I can Tell think you what, of. The, that military-industrial complex is a, a hell of a drug, isn't it? Well, yeah, when you got uh, Northrop Grumman and Raytheon board members and in, in <laughs> you know in the in the cabinets of all these presidents, like uh, I right. man, I can't remember who Trump. So Trump got rid of one of his guys in the Department of Defense who was a sitting Raytheon board member while advising Trump on foreign affairs, because that's going to go well for the country. You know, so, uh, and, and remind me, Cheney was Raytheon, right? Yeah. I believe Cheney was tied into Raytheon and Cheney yeah. had, you know, 30 war hawks within the, the cabinet and the media who really, I mean, I do. Oh man. I, I, we can't get started on Cheney tonight. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll go. Rant. <laughs> I will go ranting about Dick Cheney, man. And, and Donald Rumsfeld, those two, but, uh, yeah, so I what what I what I believe is so when Trump got in the office, he wanted to withdraw out of Afghanistan in seventeen. Yep. And yep. and Mattis backed him down. So so I think that Mattis Mattis really outlined to Donald Trump how badly this would go because uh, so like Trump realized I guess that withdrawing out of Afghanistan there was nothing good to come of it because if you stayed there and, and protected your withdrawal, maybe you could get out. But as soon as you left, right. the country would implode into chaos like it's doing now. Everybody knew right. that was going to happen. Anybody with half a brain who's read half of a history book knew that, that right. exactly that was going to happen. So I think Trump – Yes. So, so there was actually a quote by uh, Bob Woodward saying that Mattis – in his book Fear, he said that Mattis blackmailed Donald Trump into staying in Afghanistan – because he was essentially going to blame Donald Trump for everything bad that happened after we left Afghanistan if he did not stay, which prompted Trump to send 10,000 troops, uh, really against Trump's will, in my opinion. So I think mm -hmm. that – I think Trump had great intentions and he wanted to get out of Afghanistan, but he realized maybe – because I definitely think Donald Trump's a smarter person than Joe Biden. He realized uh, what – what a, what an absolute what a wild circus thing it was to say, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is kind of wild, ain't it? And he realized what a, what a circus it was going to be when we did withdrawal. And and Joe Biden thought he could just uh, he he could come into office and 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 withdraw and kind of do it, you know, under the cloak of darkness and just leave. And I think that he wasn't prepared for what was going to happen. And and 
honestly, I'm not, all. you know, I'm not tooting my and own it horn. Sounds like, and it sounds like he, he basically ignored intelligence and or advice from people who knew better than he, that this, I mean, he got up in front of the, the American people in, uh, what, mid-July or so, and said, there's, no, we're not worried about it. There's 300,000 uh, Afghani troops who are as well-armed as, as any army in the world. Yeah, how, how insane yeah. of a quote. I, I, I mean, what, just somebody what? who's been in office for 40, 50, you know, 40 plus years and, and, doesn't, and has that little of an understanding about foreign affairs and what the Taliban was going to immediately do as soon as we left. I, there was what, no question on who, what was going to happen when we left. I think what kind of my point, I think Donald Trump saw that and, and he, him and Zawari negotiated that peace deal with the Taliban, right. which was a very yeah. good thing. But people Agreed. misconstrue that. Like the Taliban has not technically broken that deal. We're leaving, mm-hmm. and they've promised to be in talks with uh, the Northern Alliance government, which the government mm-hmm. retreated to the north subsequently when the Taliban marched into Kabul. So, yeah. so I'm not sure if you is could that, say is that. What we call that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they tac- they tactically retreated, I guess. I'm not sure. Retreated. I'm not sure you could yeah. say that. I, I, you know, borderline. They've stuck to their treaty. Like they haven't harmed. From what everything I've yeah. read, they har- they haven't harmed Americans, which we had a ceasefire with them. Which I do think is part of the reason why Biden hasn't, you know, rained down terror from the skies on the Taliban yet is because right. if he does that, there's a lot of Americans and a lot of American allies still there. And maybe he's counting on good faith from the Taliban. Who knows? I, I think that, you know, but yeah. I just don't think that Biden had the fortitude to, to see it through. And me and you talked about it earlier this week. I think this might end up making us have to leave more troops if he can't see it through. You know, if we can't see this through now, even though it's a circus and even though it's an utter disaster, we have to see this through now. Whatever happens, we have to get out because if we don't, it's going to end up with the Taliban now controls 80% of the country. And we have to literally do the same thing that we've done for 10 years and driving the Taliban back again just to try to leave again and the Taliban will take over. So so that was kind of our disagreement, I think. Yeah. And I think that begs the question is what role do do we play as world police? And because here you have it. You have it on one hand. The Taliban proliferates again. I, I mean, I sure as hell that's going to mean ISIS, Al Qaeda are back in full force with a nice solid home base there in Afghanistan. Well, that was okay. So let me interrupt you for a second. That was actually so. Me and you might would disagree on this again. That well, that was in the peace deal, and and from every report, the Taliban's actually stuck to that. So, mm-hmm. so the the war cult when we were when we were entering Afghanistan to, to fight, well, when we decided that we weren't just going to focus on fighting Al Qaeda and killing bin Laden. And we decided we mm-hmm. were going to institute a new government. There right. was, there was a false media spin that the Taliban was working in cahoots with Al Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. But that, mm-hmm. according to every single report that I've read, I mean, I, I, I've read multiple pieces of literature about this. That's just not, it's not true. And that the oh, Taliban yeah. at, at, at multiple points tried to so so immediately after 9-11 that uh, i'm sorry before 9-11 the taliban warned the united states multiple times about an impending attack from osama bin laden because because you know mm-hmm. as you know the taliban controlled the country during that right. time and right. and the taliban and i'm sorry 
uh, Al Qaeda was a pain in the Taliban side because the Taliban, just like any other government, is trying to keep some semblance of law and order for their people, to, so their people right. might think that they're legitimate. Which I don't know why you would think any government <laughs> is legitimate, but that that you yeah. know that's what governments do. And so so the Taliban tried to give over uh, uh, Osama bin Laden multiple times, right. and then Bush Bush pushed that aside. At first, after the attacks, the Taliban demanded to see evidence that that Osama bin Laden was linked to the attacks, and then they would give him over to Pakistan or India, one of America's mm-hmm. allies. But when America actually entered Afghanistan, the Taliban demanded no evidence, and they tried to hand Osama bin Laden over multiple times. George Bush denied it, and uh, you might you might know about this, but. The American forces, the uh, Green Berets, and we had 4,000 Rangers and like two battalions of Marines. We actually had pretty much the whole chain of command of Al-Qaeda, and su- uh, uh, including Osama bin Laden, trapped in, 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 in the eastern corner of the country. And George Bush really? told, yep, in uh, 2002, and George, or, or late 2001, and George Bush told our, uh, tr- our guys to stand down. And there's been multiple books written about that. Um, and, and the reason why, in my opinion, is because uh, George Bush, which I just think he was a useful idiot, but guys like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld and Condoleezza Rice really wanted that foothold in Afghanistan because just like Iraq and just like Syria and just like Saudi Arabia, it's a, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great geopolitical position against our rivals of China and Russia. Yeah. And, and we wanted yeah. some of the Caspian energy, as, as Rumsfeld termed it. Uh, from the Caspian Sea. I mean, honestly, that's so. That so I. That was a long little rant, but I I would so actually I I, I have a quote. So Mullah Omar, who who was the head of the Taliban in 01 when mm-hmm. when the attacks happened in America, subsequently went into Afghanistan, which I did not disagree with, by the way. Uh, he told the New York Times, "Bin Laden is a chicken bone stuck in his throat that he cannot swallow or spit out." So he, he and he was like I said, the head leader of the Taliban at the time, which was the legitimate regime in, in Afghanistan, which uh-huh. Bill Clinton actually supported and brought to power in ninety six. You know, so mm-hmm. so America brings you to power and five years later America's is hunting you to the ends of the world. That's just I guess how it goes. But uh so they're they're the Taliban supreme leader utterly hated Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda. So I will push back on that, but I do understand mm-hmm. what you're saying that maybe if America's not there and the Taliban takes over there could be a place for ISIS, or technically ISIS-K, which is an Afghanistan version of ISIS, and Al-Qaeda to grow in, in the country. Right, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's my fear. I mean, I, I, you know, every American who's over the age of 25 remembers uh, that, that day in September um, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, we never want to see that again. And so makes you a little gun shy about it. But on the other hand, where has the last 20 years gotten us? Uh, nowhere. So, yeah, I um, actually think that we've, we, I, I actually would argue that we've reversed the process. Yeah. I think we've, we've done, I think that our situation is more precarious now in the middle East than it was 20 years ago. That's my honest opinion. We've overthrown so many either, secular regimes or nearly secular regimes in the Middle East who actually kept Islamic terrorists at bay decently enough, like uh, Gaddafi, like uh, Saddam Hussein and, and, and 
um, Assad and Syria and, you know, multiple others who, who we've supported the overthrowing of and, and now Islamic terrorism and sectarian cults reign free in those countries, I think that we have a more precarious situation, in my opinion, in the Middle East now for our own safety. I would agree. Yeah. A lot of people hate us and a lot of people that uh, we've kept in Guantanamo and other black sites are, are now out and they really want their revenge. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can't uh, honestly, man, and I'm not an American hater or anything. I love the country. I love the people in it, but you can't blame them. Like we, we have it. Let, let's not get. So I, I do want to add this. The Taliban has never, the Taliban never attacked us. The Taliban never harmed United mm-hmm. States troops until we occupied their land. And what, what are they right. to do? What would we do? And that's a, that's a legitimate question posed to anyone who thinks that I hate to say it, but anyone who thinks we're the good guys in Afghanistan, Wait, do I agree with the Taliban? No, I think they're evil people, but that's just a different place, man. And, and when we instituted a new government in 2002 roundabout, yeah, I can't we, even remember what yeah, it was. It's crazy. We instituted, you know, the Northern Alliance who was the, uh, a CIA puppet and a Soviet, or I'm sorry, he was a Soviet, uh, puppet during the Soviet war in Afghanistan. So he mm-hmm. was basically a traitor to his own country when the Soviets invaded. That's why the Taliban ended up overthrowing, you know, that that regime before taking it over right. ra- around about ninety five, and 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 we in, we instituted that government over the majority Pashtuns in the country, and 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 they weren't going to take that. Like, why would we expect them to take that? And we just don't. I, my argument as well is we just don't. I don't. You probably don't. You know, our our experts quote unquote don't either they they don't have a grasp on what you know what even like the the differences and the nuances between sunnis and shiites which is such a huge deal over there you know and, and the difference yeah the different sects in the middle east and the different sects and and yep. even afghanistan we just don't so we institute a minority sect over the pashtuns who is part of the taliban obviously and these people have, have repelled attacks from large empires for years and years, dating well back before the Soviet Empire and the American Empire. And yep. and I, I just don't see why we would ever expect something different, to be honest with you. And, oh, I mean, if, if – I mean, I, I equate it to this. I mean, if someone tried to invade the United States, I mean, will we just sit there and let them? Of course not. Absolutely not. And that's kind of my argument. Like, when you boil it down, that's the argument, you know. We – like – Technically, we're the bad guys. Is the Taliban good? No. Is the Northern Alliance and the Afghan national government that we set up good? No. They're the people who we fought with in Afghanistan, which is an argument I make to people who are talking about the atrocities that the Taliban commit. They're notorious boy rapers and killers. I mean, notoriously bad about oh. that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's t- speaking of, of, of things of that nature, I'll get into a little bit about that because there's a history of that in. Uh, and the thing I'm, I'm pretty, okay. Awesome. Pretty adept at too. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind it's kind of like we, we selected a, a group of bad guys who we wanted to be another group of bad guys and, and morphed that narrative into we were the good guys allying with the good guys of a country. And that's just, it honestly is not the truth. The Taliban is the legitimate regime in the country, you know, taken from a status point of view, they are. Countries, countries are founded by conquest. Usually, I mean, as a general rule, 
they're founded by yeah. conquest yeah, and, and, and the Taliban was the yep. legitimate regime supported by the Clinton administration and the majority of the same war hawks who immediately six years later reversed their position for geopolitical gain. And, and, you know, I, I understand. So me and you had that argument. I understand that, that this is a disaster, but my, I still will stick to the argument. This is a net positive that America will no longer be in Afghanistan. If Joe Biden can see this through now, whether, you know, the casualties that come from this, I'm hoping are little to none. But if they do, I, I still would hold to the fact that this is a net positive for our country. Yeah, I, I, it's like I mentioned earlier, I think it's just such an ever evolving. I mean, not even by the day, by the, by the hour. Yeah. And so, I mean, we could go a week from now and everything ends up OK and everyone gets out or whatever it may be. But. I don't have a lot of confidence in that, if, if I have to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm losing a lot of confidence in, in the fact that Joe Biden will actually see this thing through. I'm really hoping I don't see on the news tomorrow that we're sending 10,000 troops to fight the Taliban. Man. Because, you know, yeah. just like in 2010 when, we, when Obama had the surge in Afghanistan and, and thousands and thousands of people died on both sides. And, and for literally for what? Nothing came of that other than more harm and suffering, and now we're in the same exact position that we were in in 2008, and we're leaving again. And um, there's a quote, I, I, I might have had a, okay, yeah, so Colin Jackson, who was a Pentagon official for like 30 years, uh, also right. a Pentagon official during the Barack Obama and George Bush administration, he said, uh, and quote, we don't have a single example where pulling the plug went good, not Vietnam, not Iraq, not Syria, not one. And he said that in 2018 before this debacle. And I just like my – so my argument is is that there, there was never a good way this was going to go down. I just think that there was a way that Joe Biden couldn't have made it into the disaster that it's morphed into. Because like you said in the beginning of the episode, it seems like he's buried his head in the sand to be honest. It seems like he just didn't – he didn't understand what was going to come of his decision, which I think is a positive one. But he wasn't ready for the contingencies. Right. And the other the other thing about it is it's not just Joe Biden. It's the entire administration. Yeah. It's, it, where the hell is Kamala Harris? Yeah. You, know, you haven't and, heard from and, her. Right. And I think that might be by design. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, it's even the evasive question. Well, A, Joe not taking questions, but everyone else in the administration being evasive with with questions, I can't remember the guy's name. Was it uh, was it Blinken yesterday? Blinken. They what? Blinken. Anthony Blinken. I'm not sure. Um, they, they gave. They were talking about uh, given. A, they were in a press conference, and uh, some reporter was trying to ask for a specific number of people still stranded. Oh, stranded. That's the word we were looking there for. There you Jinsaki. go. Okay. I, there yeah, that's go. right. That's right. There we go. Yeah. 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 Uh, they were asking for a specific number of American citizens stranded in Afghanistan. And <laughs> the guy was just, and I don't want to say it was blanking because I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but the guy was just like, well, I, I understand why you want to ask that question, but we're, we're going to stick with, with uh, several thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what? I, yeah, I can't. So a good thing about Donald Trump in this situation is at least he would be in front of a microphone and let people know what his thoughts are. You've I, I've heard from nothing worse. from Joe Biden, you know, and and whether Donald Trump was was saying something 
utterly ridiculous like he did 50% of the time. He either, mm-hmm. you know, with Donald Trump, you know, just as a tangential comment, he either said something absolutely ridiculous that I completely reviled and disagreed with or he said something that got me like standing up and cheering and there was no in between with that dude when he i will say this man when he read off a prompter he was good yeah he was he was good and i i would love to go at some point into the psychology of why people hated donald trump but i actually you know we we could could do we could do like a hundred episodes on that we could actually i'm actually very interested in that topic because the polarity in this country has grown by magnitude since the election of, or since the, you know, the onslaught of Donald Trump's campaign mm-hmm. in 2015 yep. through 2016. I actually would, you know, on a later episode, because we've got a little bit more to talk about here. I'd, I'd actually like to have you back on at some point, maybe a month from now. And me, you, yeah, course, you Blake and I can talk about that. Like I said, I'd you, love know, to. you know, I wish we could have Blake on tonight. Cause I think he'd have found this conversation interesting, but we had a scheduling conflict. Um, yeah, so I, that's kind of my argument for staying, and it's not a great argument, but I just, in my opinion, the burden of proof is on the people who have supported an endless war for 20 years and gotten nothing from it to show me why there would be any reason why we should ever consider staying at this point. I understand the criticism yeah. of Joe Biden and his actual con- I'm sorry, contingencies of leaving. I understand that criticism. Sure. But I, I cannot comprehend the criticism of actually leaving the country in the yeah. war. And, and I, I, I totally understand your, your point of view. I think where I may differ is that the way that I see the United States and, and what we have, I feel like that we have at least some moral duty, that us and our allies, NATO and such, have some moral duty to intervene if there is ruthless leadership and and endless suffering um so but it it, there's so many cons to that as well i mean again this is not exactly my my bailiwick yeah so so yeah you and i would definitely so i i i generally like uh push back hard on that 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 argument that we should be like the the moral policemen of the world just because a i don't i think that um so uh, another stanley mccrystal i actually wrote this down because i wanted i wanted to mention it stanley mccrystal said and 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 this was directly talking about al-qaeda members stanley mccrystal who was a a general in afghanistan and i believe iraq he said that you know, uh, killing insurgents is a completely different math than the math we're accustomed to. If you kill two out of 10 insurgents, you end up with 20 and he said, and so on and so forth. So I think that us trying to be the world policeman, which some would believe that we had good intentions. I completely disagree with that as well. I think that it's for the interest of a few corporate elites in our country. But, uh, even if we had good interests, you know, we've seen even, you know, this is, this is an argument that we had at a different time, but even us intervening in Eastern Europe, I mean, Western Europe during World War II created the Soviet Union as we knew it after World War II. And that, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have. I'm just saying that those are the consequences that if you don't really try to understand what the consequences, like as you're acting now, understanding the consequences in the future of what, what we're doing here as the largest empire in the world, 
we can really mess up. And we and we substituted one absolutely historical monster for another. And we yeah. only grew and empowered the Soviet Union. And some could argue that Nazi Germany or we would have been better off with a smaller Nazi Germany and a smaller Soviet Union. And those two probably would have tore each other down before we ever had to do anything about either one. But, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's because I would still probably say that it was a just war, what we did in Western Europe. And, you know, my great granddad mm-hmm. actually fought at D-Day in the Battle of St. Lowe and the Battle of the Hedgerows. So, you know, that's not yet. My grandfather served too. That's, yeah. So that's uh, so, you know, I, I have no disrespect for those people. I respect them completely. But, you know, just like in Syria, we've seen that we so we supported Assad. But then then our war hawks and our Israel hawks told us that we need to uh, replace Assad because it was helping. He was helping Iran get weapons to Hezbollah. So we go into uh, Syria, we destabilize the country, Assad responds by genociding, well, quote-unquote genociding his civilians, which none of that has been corroborated as of yet, but I'll even go with their narrative and say he genocided civilians along with the insurgents that we were supporting. Was the, uh, was, it was gas or something, I can't remember. So yeah, that was a, that was a report, but there's been, so I'm not going to make a statement on that, I've read into a lot of it, but I've yet to see... I've yet to see uh, perfect evidence, I guess is for lack of a better word, of, of either argument. So I'm going to go with he might had, but it was directly in response sure. to American and, and Saudi and Israeli interests supporting, you know, let's call it what it is, terrorist groups in Syria. For What would right. we do if Russia was supporting terrorist groups in the United States? And that's what we were doing in Syria, a, a legitimate secular regime, you know, and, and the only reason was because they were somehow helping Iran, which, they, I mean, they are allies with Iran, but it's it's utterly ridiculous that we should. So, so you know, obviously from that, if you have any knowledge of, of our Middle Eastern conflicts, we directly created ISIS or ISIL, whatever you would like to call them. And, 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 and there's, a, there's a picture of John McCain I don't, you, you, I, you've had to have seen this, right? I, I think I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so John McCain took a picture with uh, Al Nursa, which was a terrorist group that morphed really into ISIS. And that's right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I despise John McCain. So, <laughs> but, you know, I, I honestly I can't stand him. And but that it's just like that. That's just like the perfect example of us attempting to be the world's policeman because we think somehow destabilizing Iran's allies will help us somehow, which Iran's not attacked us. We've destabilized Iran and we've done more to harm Iran by magnitudes than they've ever thought about doing to us. And, and really, in my opinion, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not, I don't, I don't think the Jews run the world. I'm not, you know, crazy man, but right. You know, we, we do like, you know, Jewish foreign policy or, or Israeli foreign policy does hold weight in America. That's not to be argued with. And, oh, and, you're, and you're you know, Israel, right. Israel wants to operate as the only nuclear power in that region. So Israel, Israel pressures America into, into destabilizing Iran whenever we can. And so does Saudi Arabia, which in my opinion, Saudi Arabia was the only country that we could have possibly blamed for nine 11, but that's, a completely different episode that we could go into that on. But Saudi Arabia, in my opinion, was directly involved with 9-11. Or, or loosely slash directly, you can make a case for either. Either way, 
the Af- or the Taliban, which was the Afghanistan's regime at that time, had l- literally nothing to do with 9/11. They never attacked us in any way. And in my opinion, I, we I had would no love right to, to, fight uh, to hear more. To hear more about, it. I need to read up more on it. But hear more yeah, about dude, that it's too. so interesting, man. And it just it. That's why I'm passionate about this stuff because it's yeah, just man. mind-boggling how we, like, we as the American people have been lied to, and it really is like our duty to, because we do vote, and I'm not, you know, I've got feelings about voting and how much of a, how much it actually helps us. Because look at look at the situations we're in now, but we oh, do vote, God. so we do have that responsibility to be knowledgeable of what our world empire is doing to others, because it doesn't feel, you know, it's not a big deal to us. When, when a little kid wakes up and his parents got bombed in the middle of the night because we had a signature strike that we weren't exactly for sure about, but we, we sent it anyway because yeah. unless somebody proves otherwise, everybody we kill with a, uh, with a drone strike is a insurgent. So, you know, that doesn't bother us, but those are still human beings that maybe have a different skin color than us, and that bothers yeah. me personally, and I, and I just like to outline that to people. Yeah, I, I, and I can absolutely appreciate that that viewpoint yeah and i appreciate your passion on that as well yeah so i um, but so yeah so kind of i don't even know we, i mean we've kind of gotten into you know we had some disagreements i understand what you're saying uh we, we probably still disagree i just think that i think that especially now even though like i said to you i think yesterday was i was starting to agree with you that this was an absolute circus but we have to see this circus through man and you know who? Yeah, better, I mean, there's there's a lot left to unfold here. Who better but the but the head clown? You know, <laughs> you know who better but the head clown to see the circus through? But I, I just uh, think that we exactly. need to, we need to go ahead and, and get out of there, man. Because if we don't, Did you see the uh, the the ad Donald Trump dropped today. Mm-mm. Oh man, what was he bashing Biden? I mean, I I I will have to say. It's a good political ad. Okay. Because, I mean, it had just... Donald Trump's not even in it. Oh, okay. I mean, it's just all all bashing uh, pretty much the Afghanistan situation in yeah, the last so, so two weeks or so. I do think that that's a bit disingenuous, though. And I think that the right's been a bit disingenuous about this. Because if Donald Trump would have pulled out, it might have gone a little bit better. And we might have gotten out and maybe not have had people as uh, Saki says, stranded. But either way, the Taliban well, would she, she would fight you for saying stranded. Yeah, yeah, that's right. E- yeah, that's right, that's right. Either way, the Taliban was going to take over and we were going to see chaos in Afghanistan as soon as we left. So I think that Trump, like I said, made a politically expedient move, in my opinion, to, to pass the buck to Joe Biden to do what he wanted to do. So I... I I do think that the right who, who touted isolationism for the last four years is being a bit disingenuous, but I do, I understand the criticism of how we've withdrawn because it's been, it's been a disaster. Oh yeah. I mean, and did you expect Donald Trump to not take the, I mean, this is, this is the most perfect alley-oop for a dog oh, yeah. that you could ever, ever imagine. Basically. Yes, of course. So I think that the winner, honestly, and I was talking to my father about this, because he, he's, a, he's a much bigger Donald Trump supporter than I am. I'm, I'm much more of a libertarian than him. And mm-hmm. and I was talking to him. I said that the winner in this situation is obviously Donald Trump. So, oh, absolutely. You know, Donald Trump. So he's going to get credit for his isolationist views and really the peace deal and bringing this whole deal on. So in the future, I think that – so I think that this will pass. And in maybe two or three years, people will actually give credit to Joe Biden for getting us out. I will. 
I'm still going to give him mm-hmm. credit for doing it. I have a lot of negative things that I'm going to counteract that statement with about Joe Biden after I do that. But this is a big deal to me, and I think that we should have gone out. Yeah. But Trump's well, also going to get that credit. And I appreciate your ability to, to take a stance on something and then to also recognize the cons of that or to criticize it which is not something you often see today no it's not which i hopefully we're about well maybe on another podcast i do want to actually talk about the psychology between uh, i want to talk about the psychology between the, the hate of donald trump and the utter the, the the despisal towards him but i also like as a corollary i want to talk about yeah, the the, the like love, idealization love of him. Yes, I I, I really want to get into that because it's like definitely not my area of specialization. Like I said, I'm way more in like economics and foreign policy and yeah. things like that. So I, I want to talk about that. I, I, the I the really, hatred I'll get into here in a minute. Okay. Um, okay. It, yeah. yeah. It's so, just really gonna. It, a lot of these things you'll see sort of at least tangentially touch each other. Yeah. Which which a lot of things in in, in this realm of things that we're talking about tangentially touch each other <laughs> to yeah. some extent. But, yes. you know, if you've got, you know, I'll, I'll let you say like one or two more things about Afghanistan. I, I've kind of said my piece. Like, Yeah, I, I, I have too. Okay. I, so, I have too. So I, I, I certainly see, yeah, I certainly see your point of view. And, uh, yeah, and same. Now, you know. now, now my, uh, now, my, yeah, my so time to shine. I definitely, yeah. So, <laughs> so like I said earlier in the episode, and this one's gone a bit long, but I mean, you know, I think it's gone well. I think we've had some good stuff to talk about. So now, I, I want, I really want to talk, and you and I talked about this. We were only going to talk about Afghanistan, but you told me that you, you were, you, you've done a lot of study in this, and I'm interested. I'm just going to say this up front. I, I know little to nothing about what you're about to talk about. Oh, I so, love it. This is my favorite. So I'm going to be through it with the audience. So so you said Perfect. that you've been, you've been studying critical social justice. So yes. just as a baseline, so. please tell us what that is and how that <laughs> pertains to us in modern oh, day America. Boy. Okay. So where I think giving a little backstory is, is helpful here. So I grew up what I thought was a Democrat. Um, not really. Um, so I got to college, you know, really expanded my horizons. I mean, I went to a through and through liberal arts school where there's a lot of very liberal people. Oh yeah. Um, and I figured out that I was not one of those people. And so, but you move through to 2012 and and really get into 13 and 14 and and i think really after ferguson which was is that 14 or 15 i can't remember i think that um, was 15 i think yeah. that was 15 i'm not 100 right sure about that. i i i sort of remember I, I remember where i was i was i was i just had knee surgery and i was sitting there in my apartment like like iced out and you know wrapped up and everything and watching the uh the like it was an advanced auto parts burning down yeah ferguson yep and i was like this is bananas. that's where he got shot correct uh i don't remember okay uh, so i do not remember the details necessarily matter of, i guess but i thought i think i'm thinking that. he got shot there or right outside that store yeah it, it, it could have been um and i, I just remember it you know Probably not very long after that, Donald Trump came down the uh, the old escalator, and I, I vividly remember about that time, 
political discourse, I mean, it was never great, mind you, but it really took like a, a turn to insanity. I mean, I used to be able to watch, you know, CNN or, or MSNBC and, and be cool. Like, oh, okay, yeah. you know, whatever. But then you started hearing this insane rhetoric starting. And then especially about the time of Trump's election, you really, really, really started seeing some wild stuff. I mean, Trump is Hitler and Antifa and <laughs> who's just an idea. <laughs> um, anyway, so I got interested in what drove this. What drove people to be mad i mean and i don't mean like upset mad i mean like insane about donald trump and by by proxy every republican so which i'll go into a little bit more and as i started studying that and started trying to figure it out i started coming back to these things called critical theory or critical theories which has morphed into what you would call, I guess, in 2021, woke or wokeism. Yep. And the thing, it, it, we all seen it, we, but we all know it. But I got very, very interested in, in where, what that is, where it came from, what it means, and how it's proliferated. So from a very 30,000-foot view, and, and, and to also add something else, People listening have probably heard about CRT or critical race theory, which is, I, I can't stress this enough, it's just one tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. It, it is one critical theory of many. Critical theory itself as an umbrella is more or less a way to view the world um, and a way to basically look at different societal pillars and institutions seeing discrepancies and outcomes and assigning problem or problematizing as they would call it these institutions and things within these institutions such as you know education uh literally anything i, I mean it's everything can be problematized um which goes back to postmodernism and ultimately into Marxism. So um, what is critical social justice and why should you be worried about it? Critical social justice is a movement that is infecting every single institution in your life. If you do not think it is, you are wrong. And I can promise you that you are wrong. It is very, very serious. And uh, as, as someone's name who you hear me talk about a lot is James Lindsay. Um, and he's sort of the one of the thought leaders in the, I guess, what you would call the anti-woke movement. I hate calling it that because it sounds so hokey. Yeah. But um, <laughs> he's, he's, I'll get into him and, and why I like him later. But why should you be worried about it? Um, if you hold any sort of traditional or classical liberal values, uh, enlightenment values, your values are under attack, right under your nose. 
so yeah, um, that is a uh, alarmist, but uh, what I would consider true overview of what it is and why you should be worried. And there is, believe me, there is so much more to talk about here. Okay, so so I understand. I, I see what you're saying, and I, mm-hmm. dude, you honestly can feel it in every in like your everyday life now. Like yep. like for like you said, for lack of a better term, wokeism. Just, it just mm-hmm. like it eats away at the very fabric of the like the values that Western society was built on. Like it, the, exactly the competition, you know, like you know yep. me as a guy who's very interested in, in economics. Our whole system is based on, loosely on competition. I would say it's more based on on the the natural order of of human nature. But you know, mm-hmm. the competition, the 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 nucleus, you know, the family nucleus, things things of that nature. And and it may be like social hierarchy that they're trying to tear down, and I think the social hierarchy well, is a good thing. It's it's it, sure there. It, it's so much. And and please, please do not think I'm I'm trying to patronize it at all. Um, it is so much more than that. So, okay. where did wokeism start? Okay, where did critical theory start? Let's start there. Um, so the first really critical theory. Or theorist in in some ways was Marx. Um, so a lot of what you see today, what is modern day critical social justice or wokeism, um, is an amalgamation or the bastard child of Marxism and French postmodernism. Okay. So, but they're not even really true versions of either. So. Marxism obviously created the stratifications between social classes, um, or excuse me, economic classes, you know, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, and, you know, predicted, you know, the proletariat would rise. Well, you know, it never did. So then you got the guys in the Frankfurt School in the basically the 1920s who all got together and wondered why. They, these were these guys were all Marxists, by the Which, way. Which oh, so 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 just interject the Frankfurt School out of Germany, correct or Austria? Correct, no, Germany uh, out of Germany. So would you credit them with like the founding of critical theory? Yeah. So the okay. Frankfurt School is the Frankfurt School of critical theory. This is okay. really where critical theory started. Okay. All right. Sorry. So to um, yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, and you start to you know you start to hear. It, well, what they really were doing was figuring out why there was no social uproar, or, or excuse me, well, economic uproar from the proletariat, right? So then they, they examined why. And that sort of morphed into what I guess you could call cultural Marxism. Um, it's still Marxist conflict theory, you know, class conflict but instead of it being economics it's social classes and so then you get into really who i would consider the father of modern wokeism um was marcusa and he had a essay if you want to call it about 50 pages and nearly fucking impossible, excuse me, nearly impossible to read. Any any postmodern work, especially with like Foucault, 
and Derrida, Derrida especially, is does not translate well from French, and he used a lot of wordplay and soliloquy that it, it reads like nonsense sometimes in yep. English. So anyway, um, but back to uh, Marcusa. He wrote an essay called Repressive Tolerance. And in this essay, this is basically the playbook for modern-day leftism, wokeism, whatever you want to call it. Um, basically, in this, he argues that ideas that uphold the status, the societal status quo, should not be tolerated at all, and even met with violence, because things that that uphold the status quo are intolerant to basically others. So in other words, anything progressive is not tolerated by anyone conservative, you know, conservatives, I guess, trying to uphold the status quo. That's really what we are. And progressives trying to move it way out left. Yeah. Basically, that anything that was a leftist idea or a idea of the left was to be tolerated, even if it included violence. And anything basically from the right is to not be tolerated and can be shut down via violence. And that's totally okay. And by right, so, and by right you mean basically even if somebody on the left would support that, you would, in their view, they would be – intolerable because they're supporting like the pillars in which our society stands. Correct? Not my view. This, or, yeah, this yeah, is Marcus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And, and their yeah, yeah. view, but I'm saying that's so, so you, so it's not just, we're not specifically saying like the Republican party in America. We're saying people who no, no. So it's the fabric. Right. Mar- Marcuse was, was definitely what would be a absolute progressive left. Yeah. Um, so then you get into the postmodern, School of Thought with uh, Foucault, Michel Foucault and uh, Derrida. And Derrida's big push was about what he called deconstruction. And so deconstruction looks at any societal pillar and deconstructs it. Absolutely picks it apart, looks for looks to problematize any sort of in, inequity and then assign some reason to that inequity. Now, now we're getting into modern day wokeism. Sure sounds like it. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so also I, I, I want to add about uh, Michel Foucault, who, because he is by far the most cited philosopher in any sort of, any sort of, I guess, critical theory paper or whatever. I'll get more into that when I talk about James Lindsay. But um, Foucault and Derrida, too, believe that language held the ultimate power. Um, and that if you could control language, more or less you controlled society. Um, because what, again, these are so hard to read uh, because they do not translate, especially Derrida does not translate very well. But I gotta back up. Lost my train of thought here. Okay, so they 
they argue that by controlling language, you control everything. Because what is, they would argue, if I looked at a lamp and called it a lamp, they'd be like, okay, well, why is that a lamp? Okay, then they would argue that in a separate argument, because it's, God, there's so much to this. They would, they would ask why I had the authority to say that that was a lamp, right? So they basically argued that those who can assert something is the truth have a ultimate privilege or, or power. Okay. So leftism is all power dynamics. It is all about power dynamics. And I, I cannot stress that enough. So with that being said, when, you know, if you look at a few of the pillars here that language basically controls society, if, you know, to assert something is the truth is to come from a position of power, do these things start to ring a bell a little bit of you know, kind of things you've heard? Yeah, yeah. So I was mm -hmm. about to say that we're, you know, as you talk, like I said, I was completely uneducated on, you know, the, the roots of this, but you can most certainly see this ideology in the modern day left, which I would say that right. they and I haven't even gotten to the United States. Yet. Yeah. So the so. majority of leftists in our country likely haven't even read what you're talking about because oh, they don't absolutely read. Not. Yeah. So, so like, like you said, it's, it's really the bastardization of of this ideology, which I've heard that argument made. I've tried to read some Foucault before and it was difficult to read. I'm not going to lie. It's so hard to read. And you know, I've read, I've read some different. And that, that's any postmodernist. Okay. Okay. So, so basically, so now that you've done the work for the listeners <laughs> yeah. and, and, you've <laughs> and you've read that because trust me, I don't want to read it. That's not my area of interest. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't either. Yeah. But so, um, then, Okay, so we're talking about critical social justice. That's what we're really here for. That's the meat, right? Yes. So you get to the United States really – it's been here, I mean, forever. But it sort of stayed in the depths of, of sociology departments across you know very liberal universities. But where did critical race theory come from? Okay, so critical race theory came from Derek Bell, who was a Harvard Law professor. Okay. Um, and Derek Bell is not really a postmodernist. He was a true critical theorist. But one of his protégés, Kimberly Crenshaw, is one of, of several. I would, I would include Bell Hooks um, certainly into that. Uh, Richard Delgado, you know, amongst others. What about uh, who, Richard Wolf? Just what do you? I don't. I don't know much about him. Richard Wolf. Okay, so maybe I have a name mixed up. I thought there was a pretty famous postmodernist in actually in in America, but you know that's besides the point. What I mean, he he may be, but the people I think I'm talking about are specifically involved within the the critical social okay, justice, okay, okay. critical race theory movement. Um, so. Then you get Kimberly Crenshaw, whose essay was called Mapping the Margins, where she also introduced a theory that you've probably heard of far too often at this point called intersectionality. Um, so intersectionality, basically, as she would describe, it's almost like roads intersecting and, and 
these roads are basically of like oppressed classes so if you're a travel if you're uh, you know a black person and a woman and disabled and you have three ears and you know whatever like you're gonna have a whole bunch of roads there intersecting at one point right so that's really where that comes from and the the intersections of the oppressed classes so oh boy and then you get into i guess the modern day incantations where you have robin d'angelo um who wrote uh you know an absolute all-time great white fragility okay and then you have uh ibram kendi who wrote uh the book called how to be an anti-racist um, i've heard both of those um yeah they're both new york times bestsellers and boy are they full of some gems yeah <laughs> let me read and, and i'm gonna read you one here from uh this is actually from robin d'angelo's new book called nice racism okay so and then i'll i'll get into to my huge huge issues with this in a second so here's a quote from page 53 of nice racism from dr robin d'angelo over smiling allows white people to mask an anti-blackness that is foundational to our very existence as white That sounds what? like a, right, right. Um, that sounds pretty crazy, right? Um, like as if you say something, have no weight. How, how in the fuck, sorry, do you prove that? So that's what I was going to ask you. So. Where? Yeah. <laughs> Where is the proof of this? There's no there's no logical deduction to that comment whatsoever. So, None. So I guess my question to that about that quote before you get into why you you know why you disagree, which I can tell you why I disagree, and I've not read into much of it at all. But why? Okay, so why should our like my listeners and in general Americans who who still hold to the Western fabrics that really right. weave us together? Why should we, and this is, I, I'm kind of setting you up on a T here, considering if you, like, like what I said earlier, we feel it every day. Why should we not consider somebody who writes such a ridiculous statement in a book, just a, a lunatic who's to be disregarded, as opposed I'm so to glad you asked, Cole. considering them a, a threat? I am so glad you asked. Well, A, because she sells a absolute shit ton of books to uh, predominantly white people white people okay um white women especially of course uh <laughs> anyway so why should you write her off as a crazy person well you know when you say over smiling allows white people to mask an anti-blackness is foundational to our very existence as white okay surely you have some sort of empirical data to support such a bold claim I mean, certainly if I made a claim that demonized an entire race of people, I surely would have something to support that with, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> you would presume. I, I mean, yeah. So, one of the things that you will see 
when you source, when you go into the bibliographies of this bullshit, because that's what it is, is that they all cite each other. All critical theorists just cite other critical theorists who are citing another critical theorist who is citing who other than Michel Foucault. Did you know that the average average academic who's had a good career gets something like, I mean, I mean a really good one, gets something like 25,000 lifetime citations? <coughs> Excuse me. As of 2019, I believe, guess how many Michel Foucault had? <laughs> nearly a million 900,000 almost wow. a million. I would I would suspect it's over a million at this point I don't hold me to that and but. you said 25,000 is, is 25,000 is, is, is a good career yeah so I, I would have thought that number was high and you said 900,000 right that's a great it's a good career and he's had over 900 and that was 2019 that was two years ago and where you look at these citations where they are coming from it is almost exclusively not totally, but almost exclusively comes from the realm of people writing about critical theory. And, and it's, so critical theories, uh, (laughs) there's critical fatness or critical queer theory, queer theory, theory, critical, there's fatness studies, or is it critical fatness studies? Um, I mean, dude, it is bonkers world. Yeah. Bonkers world. It's a, it's a different dimension, man. It really and, is. And so what these all are, they're all branches of critical or critical social justice. And they, so James Lindsay, and this is going to start making a lot more sense. So James Lindsay is like I've mentioned before, he wrote a book called cynical theories with Helen Pluckrose. Everyone listening, please buy that book. It will explain everything I'm talking about just much more eloquently. And it's full of citations that you can read to. Um, anyway, so in 2017, James Lindsay, who's a PhD and he has a, his PhD in math, um, a PhD at Portland State University, um, a professor named Peter Bogosian, and a uh, British uh, author, and I'm I'm pretty sure she's a doctor as well. Helen Pluckrose got to, and you may have heard about this. I have. Um, I've heard about this book. Yeah. They, so they got to, this is actually not the book. This is how they actually got to be famous um, or infamous rather. Um, They got together and participated and conducted what you would call, what is called the grievance studies affairs um, where they realize that i mean these are all left-wing they are self-described left-wing academics um uh, youtube has a full series of i think it's six or eight videos that are about 10 minutes long each on the grievance studies affair and they're brilliant they're very funny james Lindsay's is a pretty funny guy and, and easy to listen to um anyway and, and his books are easy to read as well um so they got together and real well after independently realizing that these academic journals and what 
is being pumped out of modern day academia is hot garbage. So they got together using their academic expertise and wrote some uh, fake papers or hoax papers and submitted them to top tier academic journals um, that are pumping out peer-reviewed studies and papers that are making their ways into university systems and being taught. I mean, it's it, they, they go from basically abstract thought to peer review to pedagogy. Okay. And that's fucking terrifying. And so they saw this happening and were like, this is nuts. Let's expose this. So... The way they did it is they wrote a series of six, well, they wrote a bunch, but ended up getting, I think, six or seven published in these journals. I mean, using, obviously, pseudonyms and such like that. <laughs> Just wait to hear what they're about. So the, one of, the best one, in my opinion, was a, a paper about... Uh, dog parks in Portland, Oregon, and how dog humping incidents were proof of uh, male rape culture. I shit you not. And so then they they wrote. <laughs> this is another good one too. They rewrote part of Mein Kampf and oh, substituted. No, no shit. <laughs> They rewrote part of Mein Kampf sub to a feminist journal, just substituted out some social justice words, and it was accepted for publication. So they did this to expose the fact that these exactly. peer review articles were not were not right. <laughs> were not right. exactly intellectually exactly. sound. Okay, okay. Exactly. I, I so they they got these you know, they got it done and then they came, you know, clean about it and they're like and, and they go deep into it. There's a couple episodes on Joe Rogan. I mean, there's a thousand different podcasts with uh, James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian on it at this point. Um, but as they're kind of two of the leaders of the anti-woke movement, um, there's that word again. But uh, anyway, so they were like, hey, this is what we did. And then he very explicitly, James Lindsay explicitly is like, so um, – we basically just uh, started with a conclusion, and the conclusion of to of the dog park rape culture thing was that to adequately train men to not be rapists, more or less, you had to train them like dogs with a uh, a leash and a collar and such. Yeah, good stuff yeah. there, and and they ate it up, and they they said that during this process. That during the peer review process, you know, they kept getting the papers back with, you know, editing and redlining and stuff like that. And then to make it accepted, they had to make it the most leftist. In, like when they initially submitted it, it wasn't leftist enough. Oh. Like they had to continually do it. So not only did they get a, uh, this paper accepted. They also did one on, um, <laughs> so what they thought uh, they should add a category to bodybuilding called fat bodybuilding, 
because a and I quote because a fat body is a built body. <laughs> oh god, like that should be a cat like as you know Mr. Olympia like after they get done like they should do a fat body <laughs> body voting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> Anyway, so uh I believe the dog park paper was the one that won the award. So anyway, they had they submitted this paper to a journal. It was not only published, it was included as one of the year's like three top articles. Oh. Like they were they were awarded. So they, so they played them, man. That <laughs> I've never heard of this before, but that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the Grievance uh, Grievance Studies Affairs, and it is. I mean, it really is funny. So this is so um, basically just to repeat. This is just to outline the ridiculousness that 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 right, is occurring exactly. in academia right now. Right, and so, but the reason that that should worry you that this is occurring is because. All of this insane shit that you hear, you know, the the gender spe- I mean, you really hear it in the gender spectrum, and you know the the things that basically all white people are evil. I mean, like I could I could sit here and read you quotes from Robin D'Angelo's books. That uh, <laughs> here's another one. When a uh, white person is nice to a black person, what does it mean? Here's another one from Nice Racism. It means a white person was enacting a form of plantation relationship because when Africans were enslaved, white people didn't have to be nice. But enslaved Africans had to be nice to white people. Like, what? So, 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 just to, so, so what you said at the beginning of this conversation is, is everything has to be problematic. So, so even the so simple they interactions are great. between races, and, and and there is there is nothing that cannot be problematized. Yeah, and, and I and I I don't mean that to be funny. Yeah, no, no, there no. Is, I understand, and you're really outlining it by outlining it by sharing these quotes because I see what you're saying, and I hope the listeners are. Is like their yeah, goal so, is to problematize every interaction between races and and genders and and sexes. You know, correct, correct, and so basically. The way that modern day or critical race theory, because that's so popular, I'll sort of tell you how they look at it. They look at different pillars of societies and look at the outcomes. If there is any disparity in outcome between white people and or not white people, especially black people, immediately, immediately the reason that that is is racism, period. So no, so no, no other... No evidence has to be provided. There's no contingencies that studied beyond the fact that there's there's a this relationship between whites and blacks and and the white might have gotten the upper hand. So what the the way that it works is basically it I I wish I could send you a it's a a, uh, if this was on video I would bring it up. But Basically, if you have the scientific or, or scholarly process, I mean, you formulate a, cross, a question, I mean, you see something happen, then you create a hypothesis, you test and analyze and draw your conclusion, and it, you go down the scientific process. Correct. With this, you start at draw a conclusion, expose the peer review. You're right. You start with the conclusion, which is really a hypothesis. Most of what you hear is hypothesis presented as conclusion. Correct. Okay. And when you di- and and what I really want your listeners to get out of this is how to combat it. And 
when you get an argument with the woke, they are making appeals to emotion. Almost exclusively. They will they will say something I, I mean, all white people are evil. I mean that's something you hear. Um or I don't know. <laughs> Here's another one of my favorite ones. It's a hashtag on on Twitter called K A hashtag K A K A M kill all men. Yeah, what a great okay. one. Um but anyway, I mean and, and go to any any comment section anywhere and if you try to have an argument, I guess what you call it, discussion, whatever, with someone who is coming from the ideological left, they are going to be having an emotional argument with you while you're trying to have an intelligent argument Correct. with them or an academic argument with them. And what I mean by that is that they're going to say things that are triggers to emotion. And while you're saying, well, actually, that's not right, you know, here is such and such article and such and such data that wholeheartedly disproved that. Oh yeah, well, did you see the video of the black guy dying? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're racist. And so that's how that happens. They what they're trying to do is shift the over, they're they're trying to paint your viewpoint outside of the Overton window. And the Overton window is just the window of acceptable yeah. public discourse. Correct. Yeah. Which is quickly shrinking. Um, yes, exactly. And trying to push your by by saying things like any any disagreement is always some met with some sort of horrible pejorative. Like, well, can you present to me the statistics of you know X, Y, and Z? And and they're like, oh, oh you're a oh, racist. Uh, you're a racist. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. You're a racist. You support bad cop. I mean. That's what it is because they don't know, A, they don't know the statistics. B, they've done none of the, the homework on it. And C, it's a hell of a lot easier to sit online or, or wherever you are behind your keyboard. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot easier to be a moral superior online and take, you know, pot shots than it is to do any, any modicum of research or any modicum of reading about some nuanced subject. Oh, and, and, and let me interject, not only to be a moral superior, because for sure the left's, you know, in their playbook is to take the moral high ground immediately. Yeah, but they, also, they, they and, call and it moralizing. They, 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 and as a general rule, this is true, the left believes they're also on an intellectual superior ground. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that they, they believe, so... Something that you see online in a trap I fell in with you initially because I thought you were a leftist at first <laughs> is that <laughs> is that you you see them come in and they they talk from from a a point of superiority or, or whatever it may be that that paints them from the outset their assumed position is one of higher moral and intellectual standing Correct. than where you are. And so when you start to argue the facts with them, it, you're met with, you know, all sorts of ad hominem attacks and logical fallacies. And this is where I really want to key in your listeners here is with the logical fallacies that you hear. Um, I, I want you guys to be very, very aware of how language works in the left. Um, 
and, and this, I, I should have talked more about this and made this even probably my biggest point, is that language as you know it does not mean always the things that you think it does. Um, so, and what I mean by that is very simple. Cole, what does racism? What's racism? So there's, there's and I'm not looking. I, I, this is not a gotcha question. I, I'm genuinely no, no. Interested. Yeah, I got you. So I, I think that there's a lot of, in my opinion, as a libertarian, the only thing I would actually consider racism is. So as a libertarian, I agree with the not, or I advocate for the non-aggression principle, which I'm sure you've heard of. So mm-hmm. racism, in my opinion, is just aggression based on race. In my opinion, right. that's that's my definition of racism. Anything right. other or, or, than that is is just right. you know right. ill mannered people, vitriol, dislike, hatred, you know, demonization, whatever you want to call it, of someone based upon an immutable quality of their race. Correct. That's what I would call it. So that we would be called white supremacists if we use use that as our definition to <laughs> yeah. a group of leftists, um, which is mind boggling to me, but. When I say that that language isn't what you necessarily think it means, or better yet, language is under attack, is that if you ask a leftist what racism is, a they it, they give you the most nebulous answers to everything. What what I want you guys to do is is when if you ever engage with someone from the ideological left, and it could be this way from the ideological right. I don't engage with those guys, the MAGA guys, very much. Um, anyway, but on the ideological left, if you engage with them, look at the type of language that they're using back with you. They're typically using very, very, very loaded words. Yeah. Um, um, they're, they'll say things like, um, gosh, what's a good one? Oh, okay. Uh, social justice or or the black lives matter movement or whatever you want anything it's related to that isn't just a it's not a political issue it's a human rights issue many things are termed a human rights issue because you can't disagree with a human rights issue right yeah so I, so what they the do point. right exactly so they appropriate different language or different languages different words to expand them, contract them, or all out move them to fit their their ideological process is the best way to put it. Okay. So, um, I gotta find. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna look on. Uh, I gotta find something great here, where they've they've done it. So, oh, here's a good one right here. <laughs> I didn't even have to look far. <laughs> So you have you seen the meme of the uh, the black lady who's in front of the uh, the two signs and one of them says all white people are racist. I believe I have yes. It is. So yes, I th- yeah, I actually I have yeah. So she's what this is is diversity and inclusion training, probably sponsored by one of the various fake woke corporations. I'm about to read a book too called Woke Inc. I, Who's that by man? Vivek, Vivek is ah gosh Ramas, Ramaswamy. Well, it it woke Inc on Amazon will be the first thing that comes okay. up. Okay. Um, 
but that really dives into uh, how how corporate America has has really monetized wokeism. Correct. Much. Do you? Uh, I have not finished it. You know, uh, just uh, as a tangent, do you know who Dave Smith is? He's toying with I don't, you. Okay, uh-huh. he's like a uh, libertarian. I wouldn't even call him a thought leader. He's like a. Uh, he's been on Rogan two or three times, and he's he's mm-hmm. a comedian, but he's he's like a Rothbard libertarian like myself. He's actually mm-hmm. an anarcho-capitalist, and he has. I'd actually like to run this by you. He thinks that the woke movement was hijacked by corporate America after the uh, Occupy Wall Street. Because oh, the, yeah. So so you would agree with that narrative. I agree oh, with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So here's here's a quote from um, Ibram Kendi. He was another, I guess, thought uh, leader. Uh, <laughs> anyway. He says, there's no such thing as non-racist or race-neutral policy. Every policy in every institution and in every community and every nation is producing or sustaining either racial inequity or equity between racial groups. So when I've said that they frame everything as, through the lens of race and when they, when they look at different societal pillars and they see what they consider to be inequity, boom, racism. So, and, That's and, it. and, and as, and, and, and as follows, it must be torn down, which is the whole exactly. point, as you say, the whole point of this, this farce exactly. that's being pushed on, on our society. Exactly. So if they can create different societal institutions, if they can create the narrative rather that different societal institutions are racist or sexist or trans or transphobic Transphobic, whatever the pejorative the woke pejorative du jour is like if you can paint some institution company person whatever as that you can base you basically can make it go away yeah um just with the way american society works they know that the left is in control of the most powerful institutions in our country. I mean, the government right now, and then big tech, which could be an entire other podcast. Uh, Yes. And, and so now when you dive into those that propagate wokeism is where it, it kind of gets in my mind a little sinister because I mean, we all have family that that and friends and such that are on the on the ideological left, and and nothing against them. I mean, I, I have family on the ideological left that I love dearly, but it, and would never stop loving because yeah, they're quote unquote woke. But um, you know, and friends and and whatever who are you know hold those beliefs and and. You know, that, I guess that's okay, but really when you look at things, it's especially when you look into the psychology of it, those on the left measure a lot higher. Um, in as is when you look at the hierarchy of moral of morals, the left tends to place empathy as number one, um, and that has been weaponized against them okay um, yeah i see what you're saying and you probably heard 
at least I do all the time, that it, everyone loves to talk about empathy. Now, empathy, you know, empathy this, empathy that, this that. Like, yes, empathy is a great virtue. No question. I, I have that too. But in my mind, it, it's not the end-all, be-all. No, and it shouldn't be the pillar in which you build your virtues right, on. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, also, they they measure a lot higher in neuroticism. Um, fun fact. So, uh, and is, that, is that empirical? What, yes, okay, yes. Okay. These are empirical. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Please look these up. Okay, no, no um, I'm not doubting you. I'm just, you know, yes. I'm, I'm, I didn't know if you were making a statement or if you were saying that was empirical. No, 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 no. That's empirical. Okay, so yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know yep, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and please look this up because these study and look at them at the primary sources, like, and that's something that, that I say to anything that I say, I, I welcome anyone to fact check that. Oh, and, as and do I, it. as do I, I yeah. hope at this and, point, if people have listened to our podcast, Blake and I have stressed this so much, like, please do your own research. And if I'm wrong, yes. let me know because I don't, yeah, want to absolutely. Wrong. Right, absolutely, and, and you know, and I am presenting things. Right, I, I don't have these statistics in front of me, mm-hmm. so I could have misspoke. I don't think I have. Oh, for sure, yeah. I, I certainly could have misspoken at some point, but uh, anyway. So, and here's here's something to uh, that will that will kind of, I, I, I guess, proof is not what I'm looking for, but it will sort of give you a visualization of that. Um, there is a Pew study done, I believe it was in latter half of last year in 2020 i can't remember when it was produced recently needless to say um that asked self-identified well not just self-identified uh liberals but through a spectrum of uh respondents to this survey asked how many people a asked what your political affiliation was whether it was neutral slightly right far right slightly left far left Anyway, so then it asked you how many, um, how many men or how many black people were killed in 2019, unarmed black people were killed in 2019 by police. Um, you had a, the answers given were 10, about 10, about a hundred, about a thousand and about 10,000. And that, so, was that was that fairly accurate with where you shifted on the political scale from left to right? Yeah. So um, those on the right, especially the slight right and extreme right, said were you know pretty split. I think from what I remember, between about ten and about a hundred. Um, as soon as you crossed in, even people who were slightly left, uh, overwhelmingly selected about a thousand and those on the extreme left said over 10,000. Um, do you know, and I suspect you probably do know the answer is, you know what the real answer is? I mean, I would ballpark it 10 to 20. Yeah, it's about 10. Okay. I've heard, I've heard nine and I've heard as much as 19. Um, okay. That's the number I've heard thrown around by the right a lot is like 19, I think. So I was just going right. to ballpark. I, I think the FBI statistic was 14. Okay. So somewhat, either way, uh, magnitude, legitimately please, please magnitude. Please fact check that because I probably got that wrong. Well, even but if, I know it was it was sub 100, I can tell you that. If you, even if you're at 100, that is, that's legit. I mean, you know, that's two magnitudes lower than 10,000. 
Right. And, yeah. and so the, the point I'm making here is that, and, and God, we could go into another podcast about this. We uh, might have like, to. We're at an hour 40 already. <laughs> yeah. Like about if you look at that, I mean, you see, and this is not a, like, I can't, I almost can't blame such a large section of people for believing that because if you did nothing but watch CNN and, and MSNBC and, and the Young Turks and stuff like that, yeah, you probably would think that there was just a mass slaughter of, of black men, especially yeah. going on in the United States. That's I mean, true. just in mass. But I do blame them. And that, like, their answer to that is completely disconnected from reality. Yeah. I mean, totally disconnected from reality. And uh, there's another really funny statistic I need to share on that front, too, before we wrap up. Uh, Let's see. So while you're looking for that, I'm just going to make a comment kind of more for our listeners. Because you already, I'm sure you you would agree. So the point of intersectionality and in my opinion, from where I'm seeing it, like I said, I, I'm perfectly happy to admit ignorance when I don't know a lot about the subject. I've mm-hmm. learned a lot tonight, which I'm very, I hope our listeners enjoy it. But in my opinion, intersectionality seems like a ploy to create as many oppressed groups as possible. <laughs> you got it. So, so you then you can it. have that power structure and that paradigm yep, shift. Exactly. Over time. So that's what that's, it, that Oppression seems like that is power. Okay, yeah, and like you said, the left's all about the power structure. A- absolutely. Generally, when you look at the left, and, and, and I will add, this is my own flair here. Yeah. Uh, this one's not empirically backed. Uh, That's when fine. You, typically, when you look at in my in, in my experience, and I would suspect in many others too. When you look at people who are ardent left, I mean, just hardcore leftists, you're looking at, I mean, these are, these are people who have been in some way, I guess, marginalized in their life, whether I, I think a lot of them have, are probably very socially inept. They're kind of the world of Warcraft nerds who, yeah. you know. And you also probably, see that like, on the far right as well. Right, exactly, that. exactly. But here's the thing about what – my difference in the far right and the far left. You know, I think the far right is so ostracized in our society that, like, you know, when I think of, like, the fundamentalist crazy churches and all that stuff, like, there are congregations of, like, 20 people in the backwoods of Asheboro, North Carolina. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I would, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. They're way less of a threat than the people we're discussing tonight. There's no doubt about that. And, like, the... The Democratic Party, like my mom is a Democrat, but the Democratic Party left. She doesn't know it yet, but the Democratic Party left her a long ass time ago. Oh, yes, sir. Every single moderate Democrat has been left and they they'll be eaten. They'll be eaten as soon as the right is eaten, you know, you know, yeah, theoret or uh, you know, figuratively speaking, just right. Speaking from right. the French Revolution and how that went down. It, right. Honestly, there's there's some there's some uh, parallels with the French Revolution and the social revolution we're seeing right now and my, you know, uneducated. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and if you really want to get into the weeds, uh, sort of dig into Maoism and the rise of Maoism. Okay. Now I I actually know nothing about that, but I, man, we're going to have to have another podcast. I, so Blake just actually texted me and, uh, we, yeah, so we did have a scheduling conflict. So I actually, I, I mean, if you would like to come on, I'd like to have you on another one. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Because this has been awesome. Yeah, there's, and and believe me, and and I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up, and I want to give the listeners good resources. Okay. Please, uh, cynical theories, James Lindsay. Buy it, read it. Um, others, uh, the coddling of the American mind by Jonathan Haidt. Um. That's a big one too. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Um, watch. I, I mean, good lord, there are endless amounts of hours of of lectures and podcasts that James Lindsay and Peter Bjorgen, Helen Pluckrose have done. Um, they've been on Rogan a couple of times. Um, it's always it's always an interesting conversation. And what Those about guys, Jordan Peterson? Is, is Peterson really I, good about this stuff? Um, I, I, I am a fan of Jordan Peterson. I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I know that he's been bigger in the compelled pronoun sort of, sort okay. of realm. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so it's a different deal. Right. Right. Okay. I, I would not consider him necessarily a thought leader of the anti woke movement. I mean, okay. he's definitely anti woke. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. 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 But, but he, he specializes in something different. Right. This is not his, I don't think it's necessarily his thing. Okay. Um, who else are good resources? Uh, Christopher Rufa um, is another good one. Uh, um, let's see. Brett uh, Weinstein. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of him, him and Eric Weinstein. I, yeah. I, I actually appreciate Eric's work more than Brett's. But I, do. I do, too. I, like, I, I really do, too. I like um, Brett. Their, their story of, uh, their story of, of uh, Brett Weinstein, sorry, rather, of. Everstate. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, or evergreen. evergreen, evergreen, evergreen state. Yeah, yeah there we go. Why and listeners, well, please watch that. I believe that full documentary is on YouTube at this point. Yeah, I do. I yourself, believe there's uh, something do like yourselves that. and watch. I haven't watch seen that. it yet. Do yourselves a favor. Yeah. Um, and the whole grievance studies affair with James Lindsay, like I said, is on YouTube. Dude, I can't. Wa- I, I honestly can't wait to get off this podcast and look that up because <laughs> that is so. It's really because like I'm a they, troll uh, at heart to some extent and that's so intriguing to me <laughs> if you're a troll at heart dude you follow Jan- you are going to be an acolyte of, of james Lindsay. then <laughs> oh i no no I, i'm very I'm, he is too i'm very familiar with james Lindsay. so I, okay cool yeah so i've 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 never read behind him i have i have his book written down i'm definitely gonna get that like i'll probably order it tonight because it sounds very he's, interesting another one he's written too that i like a lot is called how he wrote it with peter bogosian it's called how to have impossible conversations okay um, but, uh, other, other resources, um, no, look, I mean, this is simple too. look up common logical fallacies. The biggest ones that I can tell you to look up are called the Kafka trap, which is something that leftists use a lot. A Kafka trap is based upon a, uh, writer named Franz Kafka who wrote the book, uh, the art, the Gulag archipelago. Okay. Yeah. I actually own that book. <laughs> and, uh, so basically a Kafka trap is when your ideological opponent uses your denial, like if they accuse you of being a racist and you say, no, I'm not. And then they say, Oh, only a racist would say that they're not racist and use your denial as proof. It is sickening how often you see that. I mean, and the, the entire book, white fragility is a Kafka trap because it is entire. And and I, and I encourage your readers to read that book, read that and, and how to be an anti-racist. Um, 
and you will see how wild, what a wild ride it is, and how if you're a white person, what a piece of trash you really are. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. But so, so basically, that uh, book is a giant Catholic trap. Well, it is. It so so like it goes into um it, like white fragility being how a white person becomes fragile in their response to anything having to do with a conversation about race okay. at all. So, so you're, so you're the reason, so basically the, the baseline reason of why you're even doing this is because you want to combat that and like give my listeners, like you've given plenty of information tonight to, to say, and this, this isn't, isn't this right. Is, and I'm going to tell this you this isn't why. even the tip of the tip of the iceberg, yeah. which I yeah, hate, yeah. you know, but yeah, we don't have eight hours to talk about because this is right. very complex and there's a lot of nuances. But you, I mean, you've done a good job. Like I'm, a, I'm, like I like I said before this conversation started, I wasn't very educated. I feel a lot more educated on why these things are happening and and in what context they're happening. Right, right, exactly. And and your and your listeners obviously probably already know that. Yeah, of course I'm coming from at this from the the anti wokeness point of view. I mean, yeah. Like obviously, of course, yeah. I mean, I mean you gotta come from somewhere, is, though, right? But I mean, I, I if if you believe in the foundations of 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 the United States, and if you believe in, in true classically liberal and, and, and enlightenment values, that you you can't like the core of wokeism and critical social justice attacks that. Yeah, it's completely antithetical um, it, to it, as far as it, from everything I know about it, at least. Right, and and so if you believe that things, if you make statements that need to be supported with evidence, and evidence isn't a, a hit piece from the HuffPo, you know? <laughs> yeah, correct. Like, and, and that's another thing that I've, I, I'm just bewildered by, um, is, is people have no idea what constitutes evidence and any in any sort of standard of evidence it's like oh here's a piece from the atlantic where this you know 28 year old uh, fresh out of uh journalism school guy says that yeah my opinion is right fresh out of state indoctrination like, school yeah right it, it, exactly like dude he's making he's making 14 dollars an hour <laughs> basically hoping that he, he clicks paying like, off of 200 thousand dollars a student so, yeah, well, so don't, don't get me started on that so but. you know when you and i started talking about afghanistan i think i made a comment which like i said i try not to make these comments like personal attacks or anything but i said yeah i said something about uh because honestly you know you caricature you you made a caricature of me and i, I oh did, yeah of i did of you to some extent, because generally yeah. people who engage with me when I make a left-leaning comment, not knowing I'm not a leftist whatsoever, they right. they generally are like QAnon neckbeard guys who oh, are 400 yeah, yeah, pounds yeah. and, you know, they're right. well on the right and they've never read a book. And that's why I said, right. like, I read scholarly articles and, and scholarly pieces of literature, which, I mean, I do. I'm not, I'm not saying I do it more than anybody else. You know, I just, I, I do that because I want to be accurate. And what to go, that goes right, to what sure. you're saying. No. Yeah, yeah. That those are legitimate sources, not, not the hit piece from the wall street journal or the Huff Post. Yeah. Or yeah. Buzzfeed. Yeah. I mean, and this, and the same goes, the game, the same thing is, is, you know, I wouldn't put too much weight into things written. I mean, Fox news? Extreme, uh, you know, some of them are, 
Yes and no. I mean, I do think that Fox News' reporting is a little more based in, it at least has its foot in reality a little bit more than a lot of the left-leaning sources. Now, don't get me wrong. Please do not misconstrue that as me saying that Fox News, I mean, have you watched Sean Hannity? Yeah, it's bad. You know, or Dan, like, ba- Dan Bajanino, right. I believe. Bajanino, yeah. You, you want to talk about straw man arguments? He makes a living off straw man arguments. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so maybe you take more stock in Fox. So I actually can't stand Fox News. The only person I can even tolerate is Tucker Carlson on that network. And yeah, I don't he's think really the, he's, the, he's the only one I, I, I watch on Fox. And I Like, Hannity during the... Like, it was so funny. You could watch a clip of Hannity during the Trump era, and it would always start this exact way. And the phony Russian, uh, the phony Russian dossier bought and paid for by the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no evidence of that. episode, he said that. I mean, the same verb. It was like, okay, Sean, Jesus yeah. Christ, dude. I, yeah, so, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's. It, Fox News is is just to me they're openly biased, which I appreciate, but that doesn't mean I put any stock in really what they're reporting. Oh no, I mean, and, and don't be wrong. Like I I do not watch. Hey, I, I don't really watch Fox. I don't have cable anyway, so these clips I see are usually from their YouTube. Yeah. Um. But um. Anyway, I I don't really watch anything other than occasionally Tucker. I mean, it's just not good. I watch Tucker good maybe once a month. I, 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 and let me be clear, which most of the audience already know this. I vehemently disagree with Tucker Carlson on probably 60% of his stances, mm-hmm. including, I mean, I just think that Tucker Carlson is so bad on economics that I can't, I can't even begin. Like I could do a whole episode, Blake and I could on how bad economically he is. But like He's I such said, a shithead. Yeah. He's such an impotent shithead. It's like so I, funny. Like I said earlier. Tucker says some really important stuff that that I do agree with. So, you know, but you know, I think that uh, we're man, we're at an hour, or yeah, we're at 110 minutes. So I think we probably need to wrap this thing up. Do you All have right. any like closing remarks that you haven't covered or anything? I think you've given like a great overview of of what this like like what you said. It's a Category Five hurricane. It's not like you're actually interested in it, but it's it's insane. It's like it's like driving by a, a sixteen right. car pile up and you can't not look. Right. Exactly. Believe me, I do not have an actual interest in crit- Like it is mind numbing shit. Yeah. Like I mean, and it it's depressing. Yeah, I mean, oh, it is for read sure. Read postmodernism, and it is you're just like God. Yeah, like no wonder it, these by people the way, are angry. By the way, uh, Michel Foucault, who I've mentioned several times, and his is by far the most cited scholar. Scholar, um, just as an aside, um, he and Marcusa, but not Marcusa, was it? Uh, I think it was Derrida. Um, or shit, was it Marcusa? One of Marcusa or Derrida signed a petition or signed a letter in the 1960s to the French government, uh, it was Derrida, not Marquise, to uh, lobby to lower the age of consent in, uh, in France. Um, Foucault died of AIDS and it has come out that he knowingly gave it to people, other men, without telling them. So and he was a homosexual? Also, yeah, yeah. I actually um, didn't know that. But I have heard – I've heard this before. What you're about to say about them lobbying the French government, I've heard that Foucault yeah. and Derrida did that. Yeah, and uh, 
and also it, it's I guess more recently come out too that Foucault was quite active in sexual relationships with uh, young boys who did not quite consent. So, um, yeah, real great. stud there, yeah, huh? Great thought leaders, but uh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So uh, now that now I do separate that from his his like it you know it's kind of like separating the art from the artist, but yeah. also. You know, it's tough to take someone seriously who lived that kind of life. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I agree with you. There is, there's a place, like, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I've read Mein Kampf. And there's oh, some, yeah. like, it's yeah. not, it's not badly written. And you can I, understand. I've never read it, but like, it, you, no one should feel bad about reading No, it. no. That's why I tell people all the time. Do I disagree? I disagree completely with <laughs> Adolf Hitler. Yeah, of course. But I've, you know, I've, I've read mind conf and i it, you can understand you understand more of where or how these things come about and and honestly adolf hitler dabbled a little bit in like critical theory it was just a to me at least it was just a, a different flavor of it i guess yeah i don't think i don't think people are ready to have that conversation yeah but i yeah. agree with you okay so, so you see what i'm you. saying then okay that's good yeah. uh but yeah, I think we I think we can uh, wrap this thing up. We've gone well over what we usually do, but man, it's been it really has been awesome. And I yeah, I, pr- I appreciate on. it, man. And I, I will gladly come on again, um, and and would love to talk uh, again to the listeners. Like I, I, I have not even scratched the surface of critical social justice and and such like that. So um, I would I would love to come back and and dive more even into specifics of, of different things. And because they're, they're like the rest of the night tonight, I'll be like, Oh damn it. I yeah. should have mentioned that. I do that or, every or podcast, dude. I, I'm telling you, I do it every podcast. So, I mean, dude, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know why I say dude so much. It's kind of my, my crutch, cool, man. but, uh, uh, I, I'd love to have you on when we have Blake up here and maybe even yeah, rock who's like our third co-host who comes on, uh, you know, periodically i'd love to have you on again but yeah it's been it's been an awesome conversation like i said i'm glad i'm glad you and i were trying to troll each other (laughs) (laughs) on uh instagram because you know i'm hoping this will this will lead to a good like uh you know online relationship where we can talk yeah i agree man i i I appreciate it uh i i uh, again uh you know, it, it's funny how things work sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is very funny. But yeah, man, I appreciate it. And uh, I want to thank the listeners who've listened this whole time because this has been a long one. But I really hope you guys got a, a, a much better understanding of of this beast that's developing in our country and has developed and, and why it's so important for us to understand the history behind it. And, and, uh, and I hope when really... Uh, highlighted that and and why it's so detrimental to to our society but uh man i appreciate you having i appreciate you coming on and i appreciate the listeners listening and we'll see you guys next week anytime thanks everybody